Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed, and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. So Deuteronomy 29 verse 1. These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab in addition to the covenant he made with them at Horeb. Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his officials and to all his land. With your own eyes you saw these great trials these miraculous signs and great wonders. But to this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. During the 40 years that I led you through the desert, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. You ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. When you reached this place, Zion, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, came out to fight against us, but we defeated them. We took their land and gave it as an inheritance to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything you do. All of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God your leaders and chief men, your elders and officials, and all the other men of Israel, together with your children and your wives and the aliens living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. You are standing here in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as his people that he may be your God as he promised you and as he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. I am making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not here today. Is that, is that to me? Thank you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Deb, and thank you for leading a beautiful time praying for the persecuted church. Uh, Always an honour to serve here at at Allgate. Um, Thanks again, uh, one and all, for ongoing prayers and support, like many families at Hills. Uh, Our family's recently been going through some health health battles. We really appreciate uh, Jackie, your your ministry, and the whole pastoral care team. Um, in it all, the Holy Spirit keeps on saying, just keep uh, get on with serving the Lord and all the other things will, will fall into place. We're in a very powerful uh, new covenant written by the blood of Jesus. And we're going to talk about this, this older covenant here, which is in Deuteronomy 29 now. But I'm hoping the lessons we can learn from that help us to realize um, uh, just, just the incredible power of the new covenant blessing that we are under invisible, um, but yet eternally powerful. Um, Just have a small encouragement before we unpack uh, Deuteronomy 29. 
Um, my wife and I really have a heart for Muslims as we've been praying, uh, especially Afghans that have been coming. We have um, now about 24 Afghan families that meet with us on Friday morning at Kilburn. It's just a really, really wonderful time. Um, recently, an Afghan doctor has come. He's the first really Hazaran doctor to come and serve uh, the Afghan people in Adelaide. He's been here about nine months and he saved all his money up just so he could get into a rental and he had n nothing left, no furniture. And he, he texted me and said, Dan, can you help me furnish the place for my wife? He's got a beautiful little two-year-old daughter, Ele Ella, Elena, Elena. Um, and I asked Ann Winter and Ann Winter put a, put a, a little ad on, on Facebook and very soon I had all of these donations from the wider Hills community. It was just incredible. I ended up getting a, a fridge and outdoor furniture from a guy who goes to Verdun, um, a television from a guy, and I hadn't met any of these people before, a television, amazing new digital television from a guy who lives in, who, who works in, and, and serves at Lobethal, and then a South African family from Mount Barker Baptist gave us an entire kitchen sweet kitchen setting and I gave all of this to the Hazaran guy Boris and I said this isn't come from government this has come from Christians at my church who care for Afghans and it was he found it incredibly moving he invited us around for for uh, for dinner uh, the next week the food was just amazing <laughs> my wife loved it I can't really show a photo because of you know um, privacy and respect um, but after that dinner we were able to share multiple stories from Luke's gospel and what really moved him is when we shared about when, when, when a son asks for a fish, we don't give him a serpent. How much more will your father give you good things when you ask? And after that, and you, you could tell they were deeply moved and they've, they've invited us to go uh, um, camp, camping with them very soon. So I'm just giving you, can you see the power of the multi-campus community that God is building here in Hills, touching the nations? Um, so mini recap, Deuteronomy means the second giving of the nomos, law, last book of the Pentateuch, but by no means the least, um, and has given rise to what is commonly known as Deuter Deuteronomic theology. It's continually referred to, expounded by all of the prophets, major and minor, and I'll, I'll have a little reference to the book of Jonah, one of the minor prophets, as an example of disobedience under covenant, yet glorifies God. Um, there's 200 references to Deuteronomy in the New Testament. Jesus quotes from it all the time. And what is really interesting uh, to many scholars, even though it's a repetition of the law given in Exodus, it doesn't read like a cold, legal, abstract document. It really reads, and, and I, know many, I know many believers have been encouraged by, by Deuteronomy during, during uh, tough times. It reads as though a loving father was speaking to his children while they were on a journey together to accomplish something amazing. Here's an example of a verse. The Lord who goes before you will fight for you just as a man carries his son in all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. It's very interesting. This is how God loves to reveal himself, by being with us, speaking through Moses to real people in a real-life journey, in real history. What's strange, in Exodus, there's no pillar of fire. In, Deuteron in Deuteronomy, Moses is almost as a type of Christ, speaking the words of the Father while going on a journey with his people. What did Jesus do for three years with the disciples? 
He walked with them and he told stories about his father. Was it a waste of time? No, it changed the world. I spent most of my upbringing going camping with my father and as we were going and discovering and learning about new things in nature, I learned about God. It changed my life. There are other subtle differences between Exodus and Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, there are numerous references to, to non-Jews, foreigners, aliens, sojourners. The Hebrew word gear, it means foreigners loved by God. From the very least to the guy who chops wood to someone who's collecting water. But they're all sharing in God's blessings for his people. Foreign nations beginning to believe in Yahweh and love him. So Deuteronomy is, is bursting with missional love for the other nations. And the core of it is talking to your kids about the, the love of God in the everyday. And thanks to Emma for, for taking over the, the kids' men. It's just so important, so powerful. So now we're in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 29. We're now standing up on the other side of the Jordan, about to enter the promised land. And Moses is renewing or reaffirming um, God's covenant with his people. And in verse 1 it says, These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab. In addition to the covenant he'd made with them at Horeb, that's Sinai. So this is a renewal of the previous covenant, now involving people that are 40 years older, lots more young ones and children that are now born, as well as these non-Jewish foreigners that are living with them. And Moses reminds them, first of all, of the incredible miracles that some of them witnessed in Egypt. And he also reminds them of the care and the protection that, he, that God gave them in their victories in battle. But he also states there's a problem. Despite everything they've seen, they still don't quite get it. There's a hardening of the heart. A hardening to both understand and to trust and to obey. In verse 4 it says, But to this day the Lord hasn't given you a mind to understand or eyes that can see or ears that can hear. And this is part of the paradox of the, the Deuteronomic covenant. They are signing themselves up to something God knows in, in another sense they actually can't fulfill and they're no different to us. In the flesh before we knew Christ. And more about this later. In verse 5 Moses says, During the 40 years... And God's speaking through him that I led you through the wilderness. Your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals on your feet. Can you see there's still blessing and protection, even though he knows they may not be able to obey the covenant they're entering into. Put up your hand if you're aware of God's leading or protection in your life. I, I mean, personally, my, my wife, will tell, I can't tell you how many times I've seen, I lose things all the time. My wife says an angel is going to punch me in the face when I get to heaven for having to, for having to work so hard. Um, and angels find them. One time, I lost, one time I lost my wallet and passport in America for three days. I found it still on the back of my full drive, on the back of my car, and it just hadn't fallen off the... Anyway. <laughs> um, with a covenant comes special protection. 
Psalm 91, he will give angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear, bear you in, your, in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. There's a famous orthopedic surgeon at the Royal Adelaide. He's actually retired now. And he was in the Johannesburg airport, 1994. He'd just become a Christian. Um, he wasn't even baptised yet, as far as I can recall. And he suddenly heard this voice clearly say to him, it was the Holy Spirit, run as fast as you can, just get out of the airport. And it was the famous car bomb, 1994. Went off 30 seconds later. Um, and he's now had 25 teaching awards uh, in, the, in the medical school at the university, and he's never denied his faith. What I'm trying to convince you is if the Jewish people, even in their disobedience and blindness, were still protected as God's people, how much more are we as his new covenant people who serve a living God? So in verse 9, Moses said, says, carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything you do. God wants them to prosper. He loves his people. He wants them to prosper in everything they do, just like in Psalm 1. Because God loves them, he actually also loves their work. And the blessing doesn't just come as a reward for obedience. The blessing is also intrinsic to walking and working within his covenant ways. This is what we call ontological theology. God has actually created everything to work according to his laws, the revelation of his love. The fabric of the universe is actually set up for us to be a blessing. Um, Scott Skinner, who leads worship ministry, he did a fantastic men's fellowship a few weeks ago. And he said, on one hand, even though my eyesight is deteriorating and he has had to change his job several times, through it all you could just see God's incredible blessing on his family. And now he's being a blessing to all of the schools in, in, in Mount Barker who come to him to, to, uh, to fix and, and get new instruments. So Moses says, carefully follow the terms of this covenant so that you may prosper in everything you do. Imagine if you knew that whatever your hand turned to, you would be successful because the Creator was working with you and for you. Imagine if you knew that if you purchased a block of land, not, not only would you pay it off in time, but it would end up transforming a community. You see, this is actually still true, but we don't always get it. We forget how powerful the new covenant really is. And so we often shrink back and bury our talents. In verse 10, he says, All of you are standing today in the presence of the Lord your God, your leaders, your chief men, your elders, your officials, together with your children and wives, the foreigners living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. So everyone's there. From the greatest to the least, God knows them and he wants them to be standing there, multiple witnesses before each other and before the angelic host of heaven to the principalities and powers watching. It's a solemn oath. But notice the reference to the foreigners living in your camps who chop your wood and carry your water. Can you see the blessing is about to break open? These are the resident aliens who have pledged allegiance to the God of Israel. Why does God mention these? Because he, I bet he's secretly so excited to see there's already foreigners that are joining his people and beginning to share in the blessings uh, upon, the, upon Israel. Just like Ruth, who we're going to meet very soon in, in the book of Joshua when they cross over. This is what he always wanted Israel to be, a blessing to the nations. 
If you think you're an insignificant part of the body of Christ, think again. God sees you. He knows you. If you're in the body of Christ, you're in. Draw on this. Draw on the significant. Do not be dismayed. In verse 14, he says, I'm making this covenant with its oath, not only with you who are standing here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God, but also with those who are not here today. And he's talking about all the generations that are going to come in this, uh, in this covenant. So this covenant wasn't just to those standing there who were about to enter the promised land, but their descendants and their children's children. Many great theologians have remarked that the history of a nation may actually be determined by its response to the justice revealed in Deuteronomy and then the grace revealed in the gospel of Jesus in terms of how much they have received of that. And, and, that, and that perhaps could be true. There's every indication, and this is a little controversial, but I think you'll agree with me, there's every indication that this Deuteronomic covenant in 29 that we're looking at today, although it's fading, although it's becoming obsolete, it's actually still active. If you travel overseas, it doesn't take you long to realise the, the mysterious paradox of the Jewish people. For the last 20 centuries, many nations have tried to wipe them out. Um, under the Tsar, the Russian pogroms, um, Muhammad in the Medina Wars, Hitler in the Holocaust, World War II. There is an irrational anti-Semitism that can suddenly grip a whole city out of nowhere, come out of nowhere. It's almost satanic. Every Jew is a testimony that there's a living God who intervenes in real history, not just a narrative, not just a myth, a God who keeps his promises. You only have to ask a half-practicing Jew, why are you celebrating the Passover, the cedar? And they'll say, we were once slaves in Egypt when God set us free. The fact that they are still here, despite their disobedience and their discipline, is proof that God, their God is still alive. More Nobel Prizes than any other country or nation in the last 123 years. More university faculty more successful businessmen, more desert-transforming green technology than Australia or the US has ever come up with. If the Deuteronomic covenant, though fading and becoming obsolete, still has some effect, how much more powerful is God's promise to us as his new covenant people as the gospel sweeps across this earth? Saving Syrians, Afghans, changing nations. I just have a few words. The events in... Gaza over the last three weeks have been deeply disturbing. I can't even watch the news sometimes. I can't, I can't let my son watch it. My personal advice, I'm not a pastor or a trained theologian, we shouldn't be taking sides. We long for Jews to know Christ. We long for Muslims to know Jesus. But can you see there is this strange enmity this irrational hatred between God's earthly covenant people and the non-covenant people. A loathing between the Jew and the non-Jew, amplified by conflict and history and unforgiveness and ignorance of the work of the cross. I can't see, apart from Christ, how that enmity is ever going to be resolved. There's an amazing verse that can help you understand that in Ephesians I'm not sure if we can put it up. Ephesians 2 verse 14, it's worth meditating. It says, For he himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the dividing wall in his flesh, broke down the enmity that he, make, that he might make the two one new man. He's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles. 
You can see there's an enmity there. But in Christ, it's been broken down. That hatred has been broken down and actually there is now one new man who we are part of. I know a beautiful Korean family that uh, I work with in California and they're, they're, they've been doing outreach in Tel Aviv and on the outskirts of Gaza for the last six years. The name of their amazing ministry is One New Man. And in their church, there's Palestinian Christians and there's Messianic Jews together worshipping Christ. I had the privilege of visiting a number of hospitals in Palestinian camps on mission in Lebanon. Lebanon's a place where you're allowed to share the gospel freely. Um, And we saw hundreds of Syrians and Palestinian Arabs who have come to Christ full of of the Holy Spirit um, over the last eight years. Just an aside, I I was taken to this um, big Palestinian hospital in this camp called Borj Hamoud. And the chief of the hospital came out to, to meet me. And I, and I, <laughs> I suddenly, I suddenly panicked. I thought, well, what shall I say? How, sh- how should I greet this guy? Uh, he was a Palestinian um, uh, Arab, um, strong, staunch, staunch Sunni Muslim. And I could just remember, um, just give them a greeting of peace. Give them a greeting of peace. And so I shook his hand. I said, shalom, shalom. <laughs> What I should have said is salam, and the interpreter took me aside and said, are you trying to get us killed? (laughs) Salam, shalom, one new man, one new man, amen, amen. But this is the the incredible thing about God. Even in their disobedience, God doesn't forget his covenant. And the crazy thing is even in disobedience, the Jews still actually point to God. And they actually point to the cross. It says in 22, your children who follow you in the later generations will come from distant and come from distant lands, will see the calamities and they'll ask, why did the Lord do this? Why has he done this to the land? There's a particular minor prophet that was meant to bring the gospel to a non-Jewish nation, Jonah. But even in his disobedience, he ends up glorifying God. We, like Jonah, can run away from God's will and and try and take a cruise to get as far away from the mission field as possible. And then a a huge storm brews up, doesn't it? And the problem isn't the captain, the non Jewish captain. The problem isn't the non Jewish crew. The problem is that Jonah is in covenant with the living God. And he knows it. And the captain comes searching, is, is there a, does there happen to be a Hebrew on this ship? And Jonah says, yes, I, I'm here, throw me over, throw me over. And the storm subsides. And it says in, in the book of Jonah, the crew and the captain paid vows to Yahweh that day. They became believers that day. Even in Jonah's disobedience, foreigners became believers. You see the glory of the covenant. Can you imagine being on a plane and the engines are failing and the, and the pilot, the captain says, excuse me, is there, a, is there a Christian on board who's part of the new covenant and happens to be running away from the will of God? So Jonah in his disobedience glorifies God. How much more will we glorify God in willing obedience in the new covenant as his people? Jesus said regarding the Jews of his time, he described them as an evil and adulterous generation who seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to them except the sign of 
sign of Jonah. Here's the sign of Jonah. A man choosing to be hurled into a raging sea so that others wouldn't perish, hoping someone's going to pick him up on the other side, trusting in nothing less than the covenant promise of his father. No flash, no spectacle, just utter surrender and faith. That's the sign the Jews got. And that's the sign we get. Would you jump into an abyss trusting, over, trusting only in the new covenant? Jesus did as a faithful Jew, the only Israelite that ever was obedient to Deuteronomy 29. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled the old covenant and thus he brought that promised blessing to all the nations and that's who we are. Amen. In their disobedience, it says, the land is ruined. Idolatry is serious. I'm not going to dwell on that now. We've had other excellent sermons on that recently. Idolatry is serious and idolatry eventually destroys societies. What you worship, you'll become. Children, keep yourselves from idols. Just a minor comment about the destruction of the land. As Western rationals, we tend to autumn, we think about Salvation as spiritual, but land scientifically. We think no phosphate, you can't grow crops. No selenium, can't have um, cattle giving birth. And we often try to solve problems only scientifically. But I just put this seed into you, this, this thought seed into you. How many of our environmental problems actually come from a, detecti- a defective vertical relationship? But we just, we just cannot talk about such a thing. But it's all through uh, Deuteronomy 29. All right, so finishing up, how can we apply this as New Covenant people? The first take-home message is that our New Covenant is, ex- is invisible at the moment, but extremely powerful. The Deuteronomic Covenant from chapter 29 was soon forgotten, disobe- disobeyed, eventually got lost at the back of the temple until King Josiah found it, it was virtually unknown to the other nations, and yet so much of history has been determined by it until Christ came, and yet we have something even greater here. The days are coming, declares the Lord, while I will make a new covenant, not like the one I made with the fathers when I took them by the hand to bring them from the land of Egypt. Though I was their husband, they broke it. For the covenant, for this is the new covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my law within them. I will write it within their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. You can lean into, you can fall into the new covenant. And you're safe and secure. You are sealed, marked. Your life is hid with Christ in God. No matter how you feel, where you are, you're in covenant. Amen. You can be on the bus. There could be people there sitting who are in covenant with with Christ. In the new covenant, there are people that are not. Two women grinding at the mill. One is in covenant with God, one is not. If you are a genuine believer, then you are walking in the most powerful covenant in the universe. All things work together for good, for those who love God. Ask and it shall be given, pressed down, shaken together, running over. By as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. You can be fighting cancer, you could have a stroke, you could be going through a period of of, of depression, you could be in a church dispute or a marriage breakdown. You are still in God's covenant. Nothing can separate us from his love. I remember holding Thea's hand as she was slipping out of consciousness while her hemoglobin, hemoglobin was dropping. She said, don't worry, darling, 
God's got this. She knew, she knew no matter what happened, she was in the foundation of the new covenant. Invisible, but changes everything. Second application uh, to conclude. The new covenant is not the weak commitment of our flesh. The new covenant actually gives us the power to obey. I will put my law within them. I'll write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Put up your hand if you actually enjoy worshipping God. No one's forced you to come here today. Is there a part of you that wants to love and serve others? Have you felt the pleasure of the Lord and the joy of the Holy Spirit? This means your new covenant people. The enmity is broken. We can love Jews. We can pray for Arabs. There's something now inside of us of God's law and God's ways that actually help us obey. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Everybody say, full assurance of faith. Amen. And let us consider how to stimulate, this is from Hebrews, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Here's a poem that helps us understand um, the power of that covenant and the love of Christ. One night I dreamed a dream, two sets of footprints in the sand, one belonging to me and one belonging to my Lord. After the last scene, I looked back and I noticed that many times along the path of my life, especially at the very lowest and saddest times, there was only one set of footprints. This really troubled me. So I asked the Lord, Lord, you said once I decided to follow you, you'd walk with me all the way. But I noticed during the saddest and most troublesome times in my life, there was only one set of footprints. I don't understand why when I needed you most, you would leave me. And he whispered, when you saw only one set of footprints, I was actually carrying you. The last thing to say in this new covenant that we're in, sealed by the blood of Christ, in the real world as we share the gospel, it overrides all of the previous covenants. In 2000, and this really came through to me in 2011, I was part of a, a team of seven with Operation Mobilisation. We were smuggling Arabic Bibles into Syria and the missionaries had just been kicked out the year before and we were on a bus going from Jordan to Syria and we were just packed with these Arabic Bibles, suitcases, backpacks, 400 of them. And I knew if we were caught, I don't know, we, we could be locked up, we could be taught, I don't know what could have happened. And in the bus in front of us, we watched as the border guards opened up this Canadian guy's suitcase and just put all his belongings on the road in front of everybody, including his jocks. <laughs> and I thought we were doomed. I started to pray intensely. I think that's when I discovered tongues. And then I, then I watched, then I watched as the bus driver that we were on slipped an American... Uh, dollar bill into the border guard hand and we got waved on without anyone searching us <laughs> and what I realised later is that bus driver was smuggling cigarettes into Syria <laughs> but he, he didn't know we were smuggling Bibles but Jesus Jesus the mediator of a far better covenant had put us on that bus and not the other one hallelujah all authority in heaven and earth has been given to the one who sealed the new covenant, who has known or understood the mind of the Lord.
so as to guide and instruct and give him knowledge. The last verse of 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God. The things revealed belong to us and our children. There are things that God knows that we'll never know, and that's okay. God, God ain't interested in our head knowledge. He wants part knowledge worked out in the real world. Let's pray. If you're feeling small and insignificant, Father, we pray your Holy Spirit would reveal to each of us that we are part of the most significant community that will ever exist for eternity. That you're a saint, a citizen of heaven, known and loved by your heavenly Father, sealed by the blood of Jesus. Father, we pray, if you're feeling anxious today, if you're going through a a trial, we pray like Jonah, we would lean back into the unchangeable, steadfast love sealed by the new covenant. The circumstance, happenstance, that nothing can separate us from your love, Father. Help us to... Uh, to go on in 2023 and next year in the full assurance of faith with this better covenant that your son has wrought for us in his blood, the faithful Jonah, the faithful Jew. And Father, together we pray for the persecuted Christians and the ongoing revelation of this one new man to all the Jews out there, to Arabs, Palestinians, Afghanis, Syrians, Father. Let them know your love. Let them be carried by your footsteps for those who are already believers. Let them know their labours and their tears are not in vain. And we thank you, Holy Father, as your Son continues to have all authority in heaven and earth. We pray for the ongoing work of the Gospel throughout the nations, Lord God, and even, even here in Adelaide, Lord as you spread your wings across multiple campuses. Father, give us a heart, give us love and give us power and resources to reach out to the nations and the families and those around us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.